Amen. As God's children, as followers of Jesus Christ, as his disciples, that means follower, learner, student of Christ, we are called to a much higher standard. We're called to be different than the rest of the world. And that's what we're going to look at today from our study through the book of Luke. We've been studying through the gospel of Luke, and, and we've seen that Jesus Christ, he is certain and true. He is who he said he is. He's the promised Messiah who came to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ with the hurting lost people, that by repenting of our sins, putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're spiritually born again, we're forgiven, we're children of God, heaven is our eternal home. And we see Jesus' method to do that, to get that truth out, the gospel out, the good news out, is working through his disciples, through his followers, learners, students of Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a disciple. Every Christian is to be a disciple, a follower, a learner of Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, uh, we, we saw Jesus Christ call his first disciples, where Jesus said there to Simon Peter, don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So they pulled up their boats on shore, they left everything, and they followed him. That's the calling of the first disciple, Simon Peter. Go out and cast the gospel net, throw out the gospel of Jesus Christ, try and catch people, point people to Jesus Christ. We don't save, we just share, it's Jesus who saves. But as disciples, we are to share and we're to go out and make other disciples, share the gospel with others so they can become believers and then they can go out and share the message of Jesus with other people. Now we were in, we've been in chapter five, we did, we've been in chapter six last week, where now we see Jesus Christ giving his disciples some fishing lessons, how to fish for men and women, boys and girls, how to cast the gospel net and help people know about Jesus Christ. And we've seen so far that a disciple is to show Christian love to all people, all kinds of people, to everybody, and to do whatever it takes to bring lost people to Jesus Christ. We've seen that a disciple goes after people. We go where the fish are. We go where the people are. A disciple focuses more on relationships than they do over man-made rules. A true disciple is to pray and then share the gospel with others and multiply themselves with others. We saw last week where a disciple is to adopt and live according to God's values and to reject the world's values. Now we're in the second half of chapter 6. Jesus continues with his fishing lessons for his disciples, but it's getting much tougher because he's teaching us now how to follow him even when it's difficult. This is very tough stuff that Jesus is going to say today. He actually steps it up and he calls us as his followers even to a higher standard and he tells us to do things that are not natural even to our enemies and so the actions and responses that Jesus Christ, our Lord, which means leader, boss, CEO, the responses that Jesus Christ, our Lord, requires us to take are really contrary. Contrary to the Judaism of his time, contrary to our culture of our day, it's contrary to our fallen nature. I mean, the actions that Jesus Christ commands us to take as his followers are supernatural responses. We would not do this stuff normally. I don't think we could do this stuff normally. We don't have the power or the strength to do what he's asking us to do. But we see the actions set by the followers of Jesus Christ set us apart, make us different. And generally speaking, the actions that we're going to look at today that Jesus asks us to have in our life and how to treat people, even our enemies, man, it necessitates the surrendering of our personal rights so it's very difficult for us to do. And he starts right at the hardest part, 
our enemies. People don't like us. People talk about us. People say all kinds of mean things about us. He talks about how we as Christians should deal with our enemies. And I think if our world, politics, the world, I mean, could just do what Jesus says here, man, we'd have a lot nicer, safer, kinder world. So we're going to look at this. I'm going to start with chapter, 20, uh, chapter 6, verse 27. If you're able, would you please stand for me out of reverence and honor for God's holy word. We finished with verse 26 last week, picking it up for 27. We're going to finish out the chapter. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. You may be seated. And I say, Jesus, come on. How are we going to do that? That is so hard. That is so unnatural. And it's true. It's unnatural. It's supernatural. You know, our, our, world likes to talk, our world talks a lot about love. And let's be honest, we have no clue. The world has no clue what love really is all about. Jesus does. He is love. And he tells us the truth about love. He says, who are we to love? If you truly love, he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Don't retaliate. Give back. First principle is this. For our enemies, love them in words and actions. Love them in words and actions. And we just read that. We saw that. This is a call to action. To be proactive. To take the initiative. To do something good for those that don't do good to us. That means we don't talk back about them. We don't gossip about them. We bless them. That means we say something positive about them. My mom used to say, if you can't say anything positive, don't say anything at all. That's better than most. Don't say nothing at all then if you can't say something positive. But here it's saying, say something positive. Don't retaliate. Don't get in a fight with them. Be, be generous. Again, be generous with your time. Be generous with your resources. Love them in words and actions. And then we see the golden rule. Treat them the way you want to be treated. That's the bottom line. Treat them the way you want to be treated. Put yourself in the other person's place and ask yourself, what would you like done to you? And then do it. Treat them the way God treats you. I have to remind myself, God, I don't want to do that. I want to lash back. I want to retaliate. I want to. And he said, no, you treat them the way I treat you. What Jesus is saying here is that we got a higher standard. He's even saying to the people there, you got a higher standard than Moses had. As Christians, as Christ followers, we have a higher standard than the world around us has. And then in verse 32 through 34, we read those verses. 
Uh, it says, if you just love your friends, that's nothing special. Loving people who are nice to you and kind to you, that's just natural. Sinners love those who love them. But the Christian is different. We're Christ followers. We're to be Christ-like. So we must love those who hate, who hate us. Jesus loved those enough who hated him to go to the cross to die for them. What's that, Romans 5, 8? While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us. While we're yet sinners, enemies of God. Jesus died for us, the Bible says. Verse 35 says, but love your enemies, do good to them without expecting to get anything back. Why is that? Well, because that's actually the golden rule. That's what you'd want them to do to you. You'd want them to treat you that way. But God says, do this. They're in verse 35 because he says, he will reward us. God, your reward will be great in heaven if you treat your enemies like that. Also, it shows evidence that you are different, that you are a Christian, that you're Christ-like, which the third principle here so far I want to share with you is this. We are called to a higher standard. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. We're called to a higher standard, even how we treat those who don't like us, those who are mean to us, talk about us. We are called to a higher standard. Jesus is saying that it's necessary for his followers to march to the beat of a different drummer. As Christians, we are to live by a higher standard, and Jesus has set that standard. We're to live in such a way to bring light into a dark world. And I guarantee you, you live like this in front of your enemies, that gets their attention. That gets their attention. And when that gets their attention, usually I find they always come up to you and say, why are you treating me that way? Why, why didn't you react? Why, what's, what, what's different about you? And it always gives you an opportunity to share with them why you're different, that you're a Christian, and what that means. While ordinary people live ordinary lives, Christians are to live supernatural lives. While ordinary people love those who love them, Christians are to love those who hate them. In words, but not just in words. That means by not gossiping, saying mean things about them. But we're to do it in action too, to do good, to bless them, to pray for them. Don't retaliate and give. That's how he's saying, that's how I want you to treat your enemies. And then we go into, he's still talking about other folks, maybe not so much your enemies, but other people. And then he goes into verse 41 into family members, believers, Christians, how we should treat them. So we go on into some other stuff, you know. Look at the first thing he says about other people in verses 37 through 40 is judge yourself first, right? The famous verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and it will be forgiven and you will be forgiven. Now it's important to keep in mind, I always hear that people quote that verse to me too, do not judge. It's important to keep in mind that Jesus was not speaking against all forms of judging others. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. There's times where we have to judge others. I mean, when crimes are committed and things happen in law, even in church discipline, uh, managers evaluate, judge their employees, teachers judge, evaluate their students. And in verse 43, we're going to get to, Jesus himself calls his disciples to judge other believers by their lifestyle, by their fruit, by their action. What Jesus is saying here, he's addressing the attitude of the heart. The heart of the matter is always a matter of the heart. He's opposing being judgmental. He's saying, if you're one of my followers, you're a disciple, you should not have a judgmental attitude. A judgmental person is somebody whose judgment is unwarranted or improper. It's, it's a condemning spirit. And he says, we should not have a spirit like that. What is commanded here by Jesus on how we treat others is the attitude that we're hesitant to condemn others 
but were quick to forgive others. What is prohibited here is that arrogance that reacts with hostility to unbelievers, you know, almost, and I've seen people do, I've heard people do this in church, thinking that they're so far gone that you wrote them off, you write them off, you think they're beyond God's reach. He says, do not judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it'll be given to you. A disciple is to give those who wrong them grace, right? More grace than they deserve. Why? That's what God did for us. That's what Jesus does for us. He gives us more grace than we deserve. And we're to be Christ-like. We're to give others more grace than they deserve. That means a disciple should not draw conclusions before you have all the facts. You and I hear something, see something on social media, and we're writing people off. A disciple should not judge the motives of another person. We're not allowed to do that. And, you know, by saying stuff like, oh, those people, they intended to hurt me. You don't really know that, but you're already judging the motive of their heart. That means we got to do the hard work of trying to understand why they feel the way they do. It means we got to talk to people rather than talk about people. And we should never conclude that somebody is beyond hope. That means as God's disciples, as, I mean, disciples of Christ, God's children, we're to be friendly and understanding, even with our enemies, with those who don't agree with us. We are to speak the truth. We don't apologize for what God says. We need to be clear about what God says, especially today. Be clear. I want people to know where I stand on the moral issues of this day. Because if God's clear on it, I'm going to be clear on it. We need to speak the truth in love. We need to continue to look for opportunities to introduce people to that saving love of Jesus Christ. Because only once they turn to Christ can we encourage them, teach them, disciple them to live now in a Christ-honoring way. So he says, you and I, we are not to judge. We're not to judge. But then he goes on to say, forgive, and you will be forgiven. Why should we forgive? Bunch of reasons. God says, because you still need forgiveness. I still need forgiveness. So you better be willing to give it out. Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. Now, understand, forgiveness does not mean letting that person hurt you, keep on hurting you. That's not wise. God, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you pretend it wasn't a big deal what they did to you. It was a big deal. It hurt. Forgiveness is not, it's not even the same as forgetting. You know, we, we throw that phrase, forgive and forget. Man, there's stuff that's been said and done. To me, sometimes it's hard to forget. And for some of you, you don't want to forget because you want to remember that. You've got to be careful about what you do or where you go or listening to that person again. It's not the same as forgetting. Forgiveness means to release your right to get even, release your right to hurt them back and let God deal with that. Our willingness to forgive another person is a sign that we understand what it means to be forgiven. Forgiving somebody is the opposite of condemning them, having a condemning spirit. You're not letting them off the hook. You're, putting them on, you're, you're letting them off maybe your hook, but you're putting them on God's hook. And, and that, if you don't forgive that bitterness, that resentment, you know it doesn't work. It's hurting you. It's hurting your family. It's hurting the people around you, making you a miserable person. We're to forgive, and you will be forgiven. We're to give, and it will be given to you. Throughout the Bible, we're urged to use what we have been given and blessed by God with to honor God with it and to help other people. How we use the material blessings of life reveals the heart of that true believer. Now, these commands are very challenging, very challenging. And in a world of rash judgment, Jesus calls us to sit tight and be compassionate and don't rush to judgment. 
In a world that justifies wrong and evil, Jesus says no. Jesus calls us to hold on to the truth and speak the truth in love. In a world that loves revenge and loves people getting what they deserve, Jesus calls us to be people who forgive. In a world that lives for more and more stuff and just keeps hoarding stuff we don't even need, Jesus calls us to use what he's blessed us with to be generous to help others. And look at verse 42. Now he's talking about family members. He said, brothers and sisters, Christians, how can you say to your brother, brother, let, let me take the speck out of your own eye when you yourself fail, fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. So here again, we got to be slow to confront others and their sin and quick to confront the sin in our own life. You know, we are so easy, we're so quick, and, and it's easy for us. It's quick for us to look at everybody else and what they're doing is wrong. That speck in somebody else's eye, and yet we got a big old two-by-four, a telephone pole, a log in our own eye. And we don't, and we don't think nothing about that. we got to deal with our own sin, get our own act in order. Then we can see clearly to help others deal with their issues See, the challenge from Jesus here is not to ignore wrong behavior from believers. It's to adopt a more compassionate attitude towards them. Before we criticize others, we need to look at our own lives first. And before we criticize another brother and sister in Christ, we need to ask, is this going to be helpful? Is it even necessary for me to bring this up? Is this loving? Is this loving what I'm getting ready to say? And I'm praying that God, God's been using this in my life all week. I've been looking at it, studying it, and I'm praying he's going to use it in yours. Maybe there's someone or something in your life, somebody in your life you need to forgive. You've been making yourself and those people around you very miserable because of your bitterness and resentment. Man, don't hold on to the offense. Release it to God. He's the righteous judge. He can do much better with it than you can. Has the stresses of the economy made you stingy, all you care about is stuff and you're used people to love things, are you living for things, are you beginning to hoard more than you need, are you using your blessings to bless others, are you investing for eternity, you see God's concerned about the heart, there's a verse in the Bible that says man looks on the outward appearance but God looks at the heart and genuine disciples, followers of Christ means that we are impacted every decision we make every day because of what Jesus Christ says in the Word of God. And Jesus calls us to stop doing what comes natural and do the supernatural. Follow Him. And we cannot do that on our own. That's why we need to be praying all the time. The Bible says pray you know, all the time, not just on a Sunday morning. Not just when you wake up, but pray throughout the day. We also see here, the reason we, we need to take that speck out of our, that log out of our eye before we talk to somebody else about that speck is because we need to be able to see clearly enough to guide others. You can't lead other people where you've been. And anyway, our ultimate guide is Jesus himself. And so we see Jesus is our ultimate example and guide. And we see that in verse 39 through 40. He, you know, he also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. That's discipleship. We're going to be fully trained, trained to become like Christ so we can be like Christ. 
He's our guide. He's our example. People behave like their teachers. So if we follow Jesus, we're going to become more like him. And Jesus was forgiving and loving and did not retaliate and, and didn't speak bad and gossip about his enemies. He always built people up. He always showed kindness and humility. But he did not back away from truth. He always spoke the truth. He reached, out, he reached out to the people that the world has casted out. But he reached out to them and told them the truth and said, go and sin no more. He spoke the truth in love. And so as we follow Jesus Christ, we will learn to be more compassionate, patient, and tender. I think this, these verses here tell us, be careful who you follow, who you're listening to, who you're watching, who you're following. That's who you're going to become. That's why we follow Jesus, and we listen to what he says, and we try to be Christ-like, so we become more like him. He's our ultimate example and guide. But he does say, you can judge the heart. Look at the heart. We see that in verse 43 through 45, talking about believers. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Its tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Here again, the heart of the matter is always a matter of the heart. These verses here suggest that we can judge or evaluate or inspect a Christian. Because talking about a brother, it's talking about a brother and sister, a person, a Christian, by their fruit. Don't can't judge their heart. You know, like, do they believe in Christ or not? That's, he's the ultimate judge. He knows that we don't. But you know what? If you say you're a Christian, a Christ follower, we can, we can, we can be fruit inspectors. We're called to be fruit inspectors. I mean, if what you say with your mouth and how you live by your actions is not representing Christ, something's not right there. Verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit, and no, not a bad tree doesn't bear good fruit. Jesus is saying that all of us are like fruit trees, and we're producing either good fruit or bad fruit as a brother, as a sister, as a, a family member of God. The fruit we produce is revealed by how we talk and by our actions. And the fruit we produce comes from our heart. The fruit, the actions, the words don't determine the tree. It's the tree, the heart, that determines the fruit. And your fruit, my fruit, my actions, how I talk, what I do is a sign of my walk with God. My fruit, my, how I speak, and yours too, is a fruit. I mean, it's a sign of our walk with God. Is it growing? Are we becoming more Christ-like? Or is there no fruit? Or is your, is your fruit rotten? You know, is, is it rotten fruit? So, so far we see that the kind of person that Jesus says that can confront a lost person or even confront a believer in Christ who's strayed, who's producing bad fruit, is a Christian who is loving who is blessing others, talking kind about others, praying for that person, is a very giving person, willing to give their time to even help that person, is a forgiving person, is a person who's dealing with their own sin first, and that person now out of concern and love for that per person, not being holier than now, not being judgmental, now that's the kind of person that can go talk to another Christian about, hey man, I'm concerned about what I'm hearing, I'm concerned about what I'm seeing, and I care about you, and I want to help you get back on the right path. Now, they might not let you. That's not up to you. You know, I mean, you can share it with them, but you can't make them get back on the right path. That's between them and God. But as a loving brother and sister, when we see somebody going down a path that's going to hurt them, man, we got to make sure we have this kind of heart, a loving, forgiving, praying, 
I'm dealing with my own sin first kind of thing, then we can go to them and help them get on the right path to build on the right foundation. And then Jesus goes into that right foundation, how, how as disciples of Christ, how we are to deal with the storms of life. And that's by building on the proper foundation. And we see that in verse 46 through 49. Jesus comes to the end of the sermon. He said some very difficult things. And now he's driving home the point to his disciples that there's no way you're going to be able to do this without obedience. And obedience is not optional. It's a have to. It's not a I like to. Jesus just taught that words we say reveal our heart. Jesus is also teaching that our actions much our actions must match our words. And we says so he says so make sure you practice what you preach. Make sure you practice what you preach verse 46. Why do you call me Lord Lord and do not do what I say? This is a strong warning to his disciples and to us. Why do you call me Lord Lord? And that term Lord means that it's an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is deity. He's the son of God. He's the God man. He's the Lord. But it also means he has authority over us. He has the right to tell us what to do. He's our boss, CEO. He's one we follow. Why do you say I'm the one who's calling the shots? I'm the authority in your life. And you don't listen to nothing I say. He's challenging us to examine our hearts. He says, you say the right words when you're around certain people, when you're in church on a Sunday morning or when you're in a connect group, you say the right things because you know what to say. I've been in church my entire life. I know how to talk spiritual. Talking spiritual is very different than being spiritual and actually actually living the Christian life. Why do you say one thing and do another? He's saying, look at your heart. Practice what you preach. Do you really seek to follow me? Are you truly seeking to obey me? Obedience to Jesus Christ is no, no small matter. It's everything. In fact, in the Bible, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And he says, the world's going to know that you're one of my disciples by what? By how you obey me and how you love one another. Jesus, go, Jesus goes on now to show the importance of obedience by this parable of two houses, two builders. And the first principle is this. Obedience provides protection. Jesus is saying, the reason you need to obey me is because it's going to protect you. I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and put them into practice. He is like a man building on a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. The house represents our lives and we are all building a house. A house of ethics, of morals, of finances, of recreation, our marital house, our single house. We're all building our house, our life. The question is this. Are we building our lives on the sure foundation of obedience to Jesus Christ? Or are you building your ethics, your finances, your marriage, your dating life, recreation life on the sand? And it shifts. And it's unworthy foundation. What are some unworthy sand foundations? Human wisdom. You think we're smart enough and we know enough? Or maybe you're building on the foundation of, well, I'm a self-made man or woman. You're building your life on your own might, your own strength, your own rules. Man, that's shifting sand. But when you build your house, your life, you can be sure no matter where you build it, the storms of life are going to come to test your foundation. The flood here refers to both the trials of this life, the heartaches of this life, 
but also as the flood of future judgment that comes when we all stand before God. The person has built his life on obedience to Jesus Christ has a solid foundation that will carry him through the storms, through the floods of this life, through disappointment and depression and setbacks and sickness and loss of loved ones and loss of a job and being let down by friends. Those things are gonna happen. But if you built your life in obedience to Jesus Christ, you might get your front porch blown off, but your house is gonna stand and you're gonna stand during future judgment. But also he says, disobedience invites destruction. Verse 49, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, torrents is another word for flood. When that flood struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. The person, he's saying the person who professes to know Jesus, but is not walking in obedience is going to be wiped out when the trials, the storms of life hit them. They might look good, sound good, be in church every time the door is open, but if they're not obeying God with their lifestyle, they don't, they're not very strong spiritually. When things happen bad to them and bad things happen to good godly people, they get wiped out. He's saying there's only two results when storms come. One house is going to stand, the other house is going to fall. And Jesus said that the foundation of that house will determine how that house will stand. Now to the casual observer, both houses look the same. Both houses look good. Look at this parable in verse 47 and 48. It says both of those people heard the word. They knew what Jesus had said. They knew what God had said. They heard the word. Their houses on the outside look the same. It's the storm that revealed the difference. The difference is in the hidden part, the foundation of your life. The foundation of obedience to Jesus Christ will enable a Christian to stand when the storm hits. And the storm will do damage. And the storm will break your heart and cause you to question and doubt. And, and, and we just don't know we're going to deal with doubt next Sunday when we hit our next chapter. You know, we see here obedience now to Jesus Christ means endurance later. Disobedience now to Jesus means disaster later. Our society, you and I, are one big example of this. This teaching from Jesus is either an encouragement to you or a threat to you. It's an encouragement to those who are really trying hard to follow Jesus and obey what God says in his word. It's hard. And sometimes we don't measure up, but we're trying. We're going to keep following. We fall down. We hit potholes. Maybe sometimes we get we detour, but we come back. To you, this should be an encouragement to you. But it should be a threat to those who say, well... His teachings are so old-fashioned. I don't know if I buy it yet. They're just too hard. They're too uncomfortable. When I get out of school, when I get older, when I get more serious about my faith, that's when I'll start true and, true, truly obeying him. And by the way, there's no evidence yet of a storm coming. Yet. Yet. The problem is we don't always see the storm coming. We don't see the consequences yet. But they are coming. They are coming. Jesus is saying, trust me, follow me before the storm hits. Build your ethical, financial, moral, spiritual life on obedience to Jesus Christ, to God's word. And you don't have to be afraid of the storms. Of course, the final storm he's talking about here is a storm that we all face when we die and stand before God. And for believers, you know, we're going to be in heaven, but the Bible does say even for believers, we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. 
Well, we're going to be rewarded or not rewarded for how we, for what we did with what God gave us. That's found in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. It has nothing to do with your salvation. If you're a true believer in Christ, you're in heaven. But even as Christians, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ for rewards or not rewards for how we live for him. But for the unbeliever, there's going to be the great white throne judgment as talked about in Revelation chapter 20. This will be the final judgment for unbelievers. Chapter 20, Revelation. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Verse 15 says, anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. These are those who are unbelievers in Jesus Christ who denied him, pushed him away, ignored him, said, I always thought there'd be more time later. You're never promised a tomorrow, neither am I. You're going to face God as an unbeliever, and you chose where you're going to spend eternity, and that's in hell without Jesus. If we have been hypocrites on this earth claiming to be Christians, but all the while living in disobedience, the Bible says one day it's all going to come crashing down in the flood of God's judgment. The Bible is absolutely clear that that day is both certain and final. Everybody's going to be called to give an account before God's throne. The believer for our rewards, the unbeliever for judgment, and those who have fooled everybody on earth will not fool God in heaven. You hear me say sometimes quite a bit, man, you can fool me, but you can't fool God. He knows the heart. Only those who lived in obedience to the word of God, who asked forgiveness for their sin, and wasn't perfect because we're still sinners saved by grace, but are trying to live a life to, to please God, those are the ones who are going to stand. Those who have said, Lord, Lord, we know who you are, but have sought not to obey him, they're going to face destruction forever. This is important. I say, what we talk about, not just important here on earth, it's important for, we're talking about your eternal destination. So what can we do to make sure that our house is built on the rock of obedience to Jesus Christ and not on sand? Well, Jesus mentions three things in one verse. Verse 47, I listed it again. I will show you what he is like, what she is like, who comes to me and hears my words and put them into practice. First, if you want to build your life on that solid foundation, you got to come to him, come to him. This implies a personal one-to-one relationship with Jesus Christ between him and you. Matthew, the book of Matthew tells this same parable, but he adds to it there in Matthew chapter 7. And he says, all these people say, Lord, Lord, we, we, we healed in your name and we prophesied in your name. And he's going to say, man, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. I never knew you. Do you know Jesus? Not about Jesus. Do you know Jesus and does he know you? That's why you hear me say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, because Christianity is not a system of rules where you decide that you're going to start working and have your list of rules so you can find favor with God and work your way to God. That's religion. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a personal relationship with God through faith and trust in Jesus Christ with the risen living Savior, because our sins, we're all born in sin and has separated us from a loving, holy God. But that's why Jesus came. He came to shed his blood to pay the price for our sins, to be able to reconcile us to God, to make us right with God. He paid the price for our sins. 
And he rose from the dead, proven he is who he said he is. And for those of us who repent of our sins, come clean and trust in Jesus Christ alone as our Lord and Savior. The Bible says we're spiritually born again, we're forgiven, we're a child of God, and heaven is our eternal home. You must come to him, you must accept him, invite him in your life, believe in him, trust in him, rely upon him. Then, if you want to build your life, you got to hear. You come and you hear. You hear my words, he says. This implies you got to grow now in your knowledge and understanding of his teachings revealed in the Bible, the Word of God. That's why we're people of the book. Baptists are known for being people of the book. We tell you the Bible everywhere, Sunday morning, Sunday nights, all throughout the week. we got Bible studies happening here on campus and through homes. If you're not feeding daily on God's Word... Learning how God wants you to live, what's going to happen is you're going to be squeezed into the world's mold. You're going to start saying, all these experts are saying this, and it's going to seem natural to you. And if you're not hearing what God says on a regular basis, you're going to be squeezed into the world's way. That's why it's so important every day you spend time. You make it a priority. Spend time reading the Word and studying the Word. Get involved in a connect group here on Sunday mornings. We have them on Sunday nights. We have them throughout the week. D groups, discipleship groups, equip groups on Sunday night. The Bible shows us how to relate properly to God and how to relate to other people. And so as you read and study your Bible, your aim is not just to simply fill your head with knowledge, although biblical proper knowledge is essential. How are you going to know if you don't know? So you got to know what the Word of God says. But the bottom line for Bible study and Bible knowledge is for that information now to change your life, to transform you, to change you from the inside out. So that you now please God by loving him and loving others as he commanded in his word. So we come to him through faith and trust in Christ. We hear from him. We're spending regular time now reading the word, letting God talk to us, growing in our faith. But then we must obey him. You want to build your life on a solid foundation, you must obey him. It says put the words into practice. This implies soul-searching obedience down to our very thoughts, motives, and attitudes. That means you've got to apply the Word of God to your life. The bottom line of our time in the Word of God should be, as we read it, ask God, okay, God, because of what you just said, how then should I live? How should that affect me in my marriage, in my dating relationship, in my finances, in my church life? How then should I live in what you just said? Come here and obey The forecast is that there is a 100% chance of a flood hitting your life in the near future. In light of that forecast, now is the time to check your foundation. And if you're living in daily obedience to Jesus Christ, truly in the heart level, that means you mean it, you're trying the best you can to follow him, your house is going to stand. But if you call him Lord, you say all the right words, but you're living for yourself, man, you better start digging because your foundation is not strong enough and you're going to be blown away and you're going to be blown away you need to come to him you need to hear what he's saying and grow and obey him do you hear what the lord is telling you are you even listening if you are i want to challenge you i want to plead with you to obey some of you need to get saved today Now, I've become a member of the church. I'm not talking about that. I said, you need to get saved today. You're not even a part of God's family. Some of you are Christians, but you never followed through in believer's baptism like Jesus commands us to. I mean, that's your next step. That's a step of obedience. We're having baptism next Sunday morning. 
You need to respond. That's, that's a response for some of you to take. Some of you are Christians, have been baptized, but you're not a member of a church. God, Jesus Christ died for the body, the church. We'd be a part of the body. That's how we grow and learn and do ministry. Some of you are doing things you know you shouldn't be doing. Watching stuff you shouldn't be watching. You know it. Hang around people, you know, that they're not good for you. Maybe you're even leading some people astray. Man, you need to repent and turn around and come back home and just rededicate your life. God's talking to you. You know, some of you need healing. You need to know God's not done with you yet. He still loves you. He's forgiven you. Quit beating yourself up. Quit letting Satan beat you up. God wants to set you free. He's still got a great work he wants to do in your life and through this church. Are you listening to what he's telling you? Obey. But for the most important thing for some of you here is your life written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. If it's not, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're in big trouble. Not only here, but for eternity. You need to come, you need to hear, you need to obey. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, I pray for those who don't have that peace knowing heaven is their home. And Father, my prayer today too is we're not just hearers of, of what you said, that we're doers, we're going to respond to it, that we let you convict us. And I pray for those that do not have that peace, knowing they're forgiven, that you're part of your family, that heaven's their home, that even now they'll talk to you from their heart and say, God, please forgive me. I'm a sinner, just like your word says. I believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, who died on the cross for the sins of the world. And today I, I, I believe in him. I put my faith and trust in him. I accept him, invite him into my life, and I want to follow Jesus the rest of my life. Save me. Help me. And Father, I know there's other decisions you've been talking to many of your children about just to follow through, take that next step. Maybe it's to minister, to share the gospel with that hurting lost person at school, at work, in our own family, in our neighborhood. Maybe it's to step up and minister to that single mom, that widow, that person we know is going through a difficult time. Father, give us courage to take that next step. Thank you for giving us the time to take that next step. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Will you stand with me as we continue to worship?